0: So we are going to be in uh, the book of John today, uh, looking at John chapter 20. um, And we're looking at this time period just at the resurrection and following. Okay, so this is an interesting time in the life of the disciples, and it's a confusing time. It's a confusing time in which they're, they're asking questions. They're asking questions like, There's got to be something more. And that's a question that I feel like as Christians today, we are constantly yearning for and looking for and asking for. There's got to be something more than just this life that's around us. Yet our culture continues to tell us that this is all there is. This is it. Live it up. Enjoy what you have now, because once you die, it's over and it's done. It's finished. But here, we're going to see this morning... Uh, the response of the disciples during this time of confusion and we're going to see them asking this question and digging deeper and finding some footing that will hopefully give us some, uh, some guidance and hope for our day today. And so my encouragement to you is, is don't stop looking for that something more over the next hill. Okay? Keep keep your mind focused on the future and keep going. And the Bible backs that up. God wants you to know that, that he wants you to have a, an abundant life in him. Uh, Jesus offers living water flowing out of him. There's, there's wonderful blessings that God has offered to us in Christ. Uh, And and we see that with the the woman at the well. We see it in many other places. But what I want to focus on this morning is that there is just so much more than what we see around us. Because if we just get our eyes focused on the things that are around us, we can very easily get depressed. Uh, We can uh, begin to focus on the things that are surrounding us and the things that this world tells us to put our hope in. And we can end up in despair. And so I want to look. Today And just a, a quick sentence to kind of give you what we're looking at. i got three big points and we'll be done today. Uh, we're going to look at the story of particularly Mary, Mary Magdalene, here in John chapter 20. And this sentence can kind of summarize everything. That we can stand firm, we can stand firm in Jesus' mercy and presence because he knows our name. We can stand firm in Jesus' mercy and presence because he knows our name. So let's pray as we get started. We'll read these verses together. Father, we thank you for this time. God, I pray for my words now that you would uh, supernaturally use them to speak to the hearts of, of these, your children here, uh, and that you would open up in us a faith And a trust that we would plant our lives in you and in you alone. That you would be our our refuge and our hope. And that in the midst of the storms of life and the difficulties of this life, that we would be anchored in the storm. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are here in John chapter 20. Beginning in verse 11, I've got to get back there, close my Bible after I did her scripture reading. And of course, pages like to stick together. All right, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. And we're going to take this little bit by little bit. Okay, so first three words it says, But Mary stood. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped. To look into the tombs. I want to look at those first three words to begin with. Okay, so but Mary stood. So doing your Bible study, if you're, you're doing this, anytime you see a but, what does that mean you need to do? Yeah, you got to look backwards. You got to say, okay, we're doing a comparison here. So if you see a but, you got to look at what came before the but uh, to find out what we're comparing this with. You got to find out what the but is sitting on, is the way that I learned it. Okay, so but... So I'm going to go back to uh, back to the beginning of chapter 20, and we'll see this other story that we're getting a comparison with here. Okay, so beginning of chapter 20, we say, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, that's the Mary we're talking about in this verse still. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Why? Why did she come to the tomb early? She came to the tomb because. At the crucifixion on Friday afternoon, they had taken Jesus down very rapidly, very quickly, and laid him in a tomb because it was the beginning of the Sabbath. Uh, And so they did not have time to prepare the body the way that would have normally been done. And so now she's coming early, early, early Sunday morning uh, after the Sabbath has been completed. And she is coming to treat the body of Jesus. She's coming there to do this. And when she comes, she comes forward and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. She came very early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which I I personally love this. This book is the book of John. And this is John's way of referring to himself throughout the book. Uh, I I I find it so funny. John Probably was an older man when he was writing this. May have been the last living disciple at this point. And so he was able to call himself whatever he wanted to. <laughs> and nobody could say anything against it. But he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think if he would have written this a little earlier, Peter might have been like, uh, excuse me, uh, I was the one whom he loved. But they, they argued about that even while they were alive. So the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Again, this is, this is just a, a comment that wouldn't have been in these books had they not been written by men who were... This is John saying, ha, I finally get the, the final word in our argument about who won the foot race to the tomb. know. Peter always said he won it, but I got the final word, I won the race. I got here first. You know, another disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And listen closely here, because this is where our butt comes in. It says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't understand yet. They didn't get it. And then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood. So who is this Mary? Who is this Mary? This is Mary Magdalene. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. Uh, This is not Mary, uh, the mother of Cleopas, uh, who was another Mary who we see there. This is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene has many different stories and ideas that are around her. Many said that she was a prostitute at one point. Uh, She was probably the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, If we believe that that is even really in most of the good manuscripts, that's uh, uh, definitely a point of contention with biblical scholars. Uh, But the woman caught in adultery that Jesus pardoned by drawing in sand, and everybody went away, and he said, uh, Who condemns you? Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We think that was probably Mary Magdalene. But the one thing that we really do know is her, is she was the one who came in while Jesus was having supper uh, with one of the Pharisees, She came in and broke open this bottle of very expensive perfume or nard uh, in an alabaster jar and broke it over Jesus' feet and washed his feet and dried his feet with her hair. Uh, This is Mary Magdalene. This is Mary who, who gave up so much because she had been forgiven so much. This is Mary who was with Jesus during his crucifixion. Other people leave him. Other people had left, but Mary is there by his side, which has led some uh, crazy people off on the the left wing to to say that, oh, they must have been secretly married, and Jesus and Mary were having a thing. No, none of this happened. She was just a disciple, and she believed. She put her faith in Christ. She trusted him and stood in him when he was alive, when he died, and now when he's gone. She's still standing. Okay, so this is the Mary that we're talking about. It says, but Mary stood. And this word stood is not just a a, a little stand. Uh, Some people can read the stood here and just kind of miss it. Uh, But anytime you're looking at verbs in the Greek, you've got to pay attention. uh, Because there can be things hiding there that you don't get in English. Uh, Because we say stood for lots of different tenses. But in Greek, and I'm going to get a little geeky here for a minute, uh, in Greek, this word stood is in the pluperfect tense. And I know you all all know exactly what that means, so I can just keep going, right? No, no, I need to explain. Okay, so the pluperfect tense is a, a tense that is very strong. This is the, the strongest standing that you can imagine. Uh, if we put this into English and really uh, tried to flesh it out, it would say that, but Mary had been standing was continuing to stand and would continue to stand continually. This is the idea. And then it's an action that began in the past, is currently going on, and will continue. Pluperfect continuous is the tense that's here. So she stood. She stood. She had stood with him in his life. She had stood with him in his death. And here she is, still Standing, One of the few people that remained with Jesus throughout all of this ordeal. And the one that was coming to the tomb to take care of him after he had died. Okay, So Mary shows herself to be a very, very faithful disciple here in life and in death. She's standing. Uh, and, and I go back to, to Jesus' words in John chapter 15 to kind of get this idea of, of what it means to stand like this. Go back to John chapter 15, verse 5. This is, this is Jesus' words. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So if we were to use a, an English word to try to communicate this idea of standing, I think Jesus might have said that Mary abided. Mary was abiding here. Uh, She wasn't treating Jesus as her hotel or a tent. Those are places that you visit. Those are places that you stay for a little while. No, Jesus was not her hotel. Jesus was her home. She had made her home in Christ. She abided there. Uh, Mary is abiding in Christ making her home in him not visiting for a few hours on Sunday or just stopping by there's no temporary dwelling here uh, she has her feet firmly planted and she's not going anywhere she's not going anywhere there, there's no good news yet there's just confusion at this point point. and yet she's still standing it seems like the world is falling apart around her and she's still standing so just three words but three words that give us a sense of who this is that we're talking about and what her position is here. And this idea of, of standing, abiding in Christ, just flies in the face of everything that our world says about Christianity. Uh, if, if you talk to people around you today who aren't believers, they're okay with you believing in Jesus. They're okay with you having some faith, but the idea that you would push all your chips in and stand on Christ and Christ alone? That's kind of crazy. You're one of those extremists, right? You've gone overboard. That's too much. But this is exactly where Mary is. Mary is here standing, betting it all. We'd love to just give a part, give a little bit, and there's plenty of teachers out there that would say, yeah, you could just give this little piece of your life give this little portion of your life to Christ, and that's good enough. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, abide in me. Stand firm on me. Mary here is all in. So we see this idea of standing all throughout the New Testament. We can look at a couple of other places. One one place uh, that stands out in my mind is in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians... Uh, We can look at Ephesians chapter 6, and a lot of people know this passage because it's the passage about wearing the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Well, what's the reason for putting on the armor of God? Why do we have to put it on? Look at verse 13. Chapter 6, verse 13 of Ephesians. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. To stand firm. It, let's keep going. So you, you see, there's a reason why we need the armor of God. It's so we can stand firm. Uh, tonight and continuing on in Revelation, that, that's a, a theme that we keep coming back to over and over again, right? Is is not vacillating. Continuing to stand firm. Not giving up in the midst of the fight. Standing firm. We've seen it in Hebrews, uh, that we've got to keep our hands up, keep in the fight, continue, strengthen your weakened knees, maintain your footing, fight, race hard. This is the idea that's being communicated throughout the New Testament. Uh, Let's go over to Philippians real fast. Flip a page over in my Bible. Uh, Look at Philippians uh, chapter 1 verse 27 with this idea of standing firm. It says, only Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This idea of striving. We just talked about it last week in Hebrews. Strive for peace. Go over to the end of Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is a continuous thing that the, the uh, authors of the New Testament continue to come back to. Uh, but my favorite, my favorite one is another one of Paul's. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This is what it says. You can get there. Says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You're not laboring in vain if you're standing firm in Christ. And that is the command that we are given here by the gospel writers and by Jesus, to abide in him, to stand in him, to stand firm. So Mary stood when she had no reason to stand. In fact, what was she doing while she was standing? She's weeping. She's weeping in the midst of her standing. She's like, I don't even know why I'm standing anymore. I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused at this moment. But she's still standing. She's still standing in the midst of it. So she stood weeping outside the tomb. I, I can see as the disciples are leaving, I can see Peter and, and John leaving and going back home saying, Hey, Mary, you, you can come on. We, we don't know what's going on. And she, she's just saying, No, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stay right here. Gonna, Jesus said he was going to be here. I, I, he's supposed to be here. I, I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to stay close by. I'm going to stand here. Uh, but but he's, he's gone, Mary. You, you were there. You saw him. I'm standing. I'm going to stay. But but he's he's gone. He's got the, the Romans must have moved him. No, I'm standing. I'm going to stand right here. I'm not moving. That's her outlook on life. Is I'm going to stand on Christ no matter what, no matter what. So here's my question for you. Where are you standing? What are you standing on? What are you standing on? And what you stand on is the thing that you put your hope in. It's the thing you put your confidence in and our world wants us to put our hope and confidence in all kinds of different things, whether it be relationships, or our stock portfolio, or approval from other people, our bank account, our dreams, our, our career opportunities, our health, the toys that we can accumulate. Where do you put your hope? What do you stand on? What do you stand on? Because for Mary here, the world is crumbling around her. <laughs> Everything that she's placed her hope In everything that she stood on, she feels like it's falling apart. Everything she thought she knew. She thought Jesus was going to be the next king. She thought it was it was she was gonna go on with him and he was gonna reign, and, and now here he is, he's he's gone. He's not even in the tomb that he was supposed to be in. There's just so much confusion. And so when things go bad and the earth begins to crumble around you, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Uh, Where will you try to put your weight? Because if you try to put it in things like your your career and your relationships and your stock portfolio, guess what? It's not going to bear up under your weight. It's not going to hold you. It won't hold you. And so in the end, as many people have seen during this pandemic, the things that we try to put our confidence in fail. They fail so often. And there's a reason why our world is consumed with so many people that are angry, that are hating one another, that are consumed with with people reaching out in fear. It's because their world's crumbling around them, and what happens when you're falling? You're going to flail and reach for anything that you can. And so (coughs) I... Those are, those are what we might think of as compulsions or sins. <laughs> if, if you're standing on something that's collapsing around you, you're going to flail and you're going to reach for things like, uh, like lust, things like anger, self-harm, sloth, greed, depression. Those are, are ways that you think you can cope with things crumbling around you, but they're not what Jesus has commanded to stand firm in him. If you stand in him, there's no reason to reach for those compulsions. He won't collapse. And even in the midst of your weeping, you can stand. Even in the midst of your weeping, you can stand without losing your footing. So she's standing here, and and now she's going to kind of stoop down and look into the tomb. She She hasn't even seen inside yet. She let the disciples go before her. She is processing this whole thing. And so it says that she stooped to look into the tomb. What does she see when she looks inside? She, she moves in closer to where she thinks Jesus should be. And I think that's a good, good move in the midst of things getting crazy around us. Uh, is moving in closer to where we think Jesus should be. Or where he would be. Uh, where he's promised he would be. So she's moving in even closer here. And this is verse 12. It says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And very easily we can just skim right over this and think, oh, it's just a description of the scene. But I want you to think about your, your biblical knowledge here and can you tell me another place in Scripture where we see a platform with an angel on one side and an angel on the other? Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the, Covenant the mercy seat. Yes, this is the mercy seat of God here. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Go over to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. Okay, so we're not talking about a little box. This is two cubits and a half, 18 inches is a cubit. This is a big slab. This is like this table almost, okay? Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. And of one piece with the mercy mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. They shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings and their faces one to another. Towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you all that I give you in command of the people of Israel. That's where God designed to meet with his people was in this Ark of the Covenant. This was during the time of the Exodus. Uh, this is the, the nation being built here. And God says, guess what? Uh, I can't always come to you on a mountain. Okay, y'all are going to leave. You're going to leave this place. And so I'm going to give you a place where I will come and fellowship with you and I'll speak with you from this place. Uh, but it's going to be a place of extreme, extreme holiness. You're going to build this and then you're going to build around it a holy of holies and then you're going to have a holy place around it. And then you're going to have a, a larger tabernacle enclosure around that. And then you're going to have the camp. The whole camp is going to circle around this building, this tent of the meeting. And this is going to be where I meet with you. And this was the place that once a year, the high priest would enter on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat for the purification of the sins of the people. This is where the people met with God and where they found mercy. And Mary moves in and she sees this image and it's as if she's stepping into the presence of God. She's stepping into the presence of God, and she is being meet, met. <laughs> she's being met with mercy in this place. And so it's a beautiful picture, and we could really easily just miss it because it's a description, but I really think that that's the, the picture that we're supposed to see if we have our, our Bible eyes on, that you see this platform with the two cherubim And in the middle is the mercy seat. And the mercy of God is found in Christ. And so where is Mary now standing? She's not standing outside the tomb weeping. Now she's standing in the presence and the mercy of God. Before the mercy seat here. And notice you have these two angels that are here. Well, these aren't craft out of gold. Rather, they're shiny, as it's written in a couple of other accounts. They're dressed in shining clothes here. Uh, In verse 13, it says, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. You can see her confusion. She is, she's outside of her norm here. Now, and remember, Mary is no high priest. Right? Okay. Who comes into the presence of God in, in the images of the, the Exodus? It's the high priest. It's this one particular person. But remember, at the crucifixion, you had that earthquake, and you had the holy of holies, the curtain that separated the people from the presence of God, torn from top to bottom. And so now God's presence is flooding out into the world. And people like Mary, potential prostitute, somebody who was of ill repute, is able to come into his presence. Oh, it's an amazing, amazing idea. And so these, these angels, they, they say, why are you weeping? She says, I don't know where Jesus is. They've taken him away. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around. She turned around and she saw Jesus. But she did not know that it was Jesus. I see this so often you guys i'm in a in a christian school where it's really easy to give the right answers so often we can be in church and in sunday school and bible study and we know the right answers like we see jesus but we don't really see him you know what i mean you know what I mean? We, we see somebody standing there and we're like, yeah, that's Jesus. It's, it's Him. I did this half of my life as a teenager. I, I got baptized when I was nine years old because I was supposed to. That was just what you did. I went to BBS, I signed a card, and I got baptized because everybody else was, and I figured that's what you're supposed to do. I, I knew the Bible. I could quote you verses, and I could—I I played uh, sword drills. I could get you there real fast, and I, I lived the life that you were supposed to. But I never saw Jesus. I saw somebody there, but I didn't recognize who it was. He was just a stranger to me. But God is going to call her by name here. Verse 14 says, Having said this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she thought he was the gardener. She says to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. She's, she's seeking after Jesus. She's looking for Jesus here. She wants to find him. And Jesus said to her, verse 16, Mary. One word. One word, her name. Jesus knows her name. Jesus calls her by name, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She said, it's you. It's you. I see you now. I I recognize you. Why? What opened her eyes? He called her by name. This is a common theme. We see this throughout the Bible. Think back to Moses and the burning bush. He's there. He sees this bush on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he hears, Moses, Moses. God calls him by name. Think of Samuel lying in bed there. Eli's in the other room. It's the middle of the night, and he hears, Samuel. He gets up and goes to Eli Yes, sir, you called me? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Here's it again. Samuel does it four times. And finally hears God speaking to him, calling him by name. Think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God knows your name, you guys. How awesome is that! The, the, the Lord of the universe, the God of all creation, He knows your name. He calls you by name here. And that is what has enabled her to stand before, and it's what enables her to continue and keep on standing in the midst of this time, that he calls you by name. Go to to Isaiah, Isaiah 43. We'll see this here at this point. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 43, verse 1. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, I can look out in this room, and I can call every one of you by name. I can call every one of you by name. But there's four in this room that mean a little bit more to him. There's four names in this room uh, that I would... Jump in front of a truck for. It. I would take a bullet for. It. Because they're mine. Because they're mine. I, 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 I still struggle with this. I can't fathom this. Why did God give me four souls? Why did He entrust me with four souls? I lose my car keys, you guys. And He's given me souls. <laughs> and they're mine. I'm going to care for them. But that's the image that we have here of God. Is he says, I care for you. You're mine. I'm going to call you by name. He calls us his own. He calls us his own. That's God's way with his children. He he looks at you and he calls you by name. You're his. He he treats you as a husband would treat his wife. He treats you as a father would treat his children. A good father would treat his children. And we're going to see that more tonight as we look in in Revelation chapter 19 and see the bride of Christ being welcomed by her husband. It all ties in together. So, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, if he calls me by name, he's probably going to throw some kind of adjective in front of it. Stupid so-and-so, sinful, backslidden. Whatever adjective you want to throw in front of it. Maybe you're thinking that. Thinking if he, if he calls me by name, he's going to say it in derision. He's going to say it not, not out of love, but out of, out of scorn and scoffing. Well, you might need to read this same passage over in the book of Mark. Mark 16. We'll see the same, same idea, same image that we see, only in another context here. Mark chapter 16. This is verse 7. This is still Jesus here speaking to Mary at the tomb. Speaking to Mary at the tomb. And he says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter, you guys. Okay, well, why would, why would the angel here call out Peter? Or well, remember who Peter is? Peter, Peter is that kid in class that constantly gets his name called, but for the whole wrong reason, okay? Uh, but Peter Peter is the one that's like the, the teacher, the rabbi is at the front of the room going, no, Peter, stop, Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, Peter. Uh, Peter, put down the sword. We don't cut people's ears off, okay? Th- that's Peter. He, he's the one that's constantly in trouble with Jesus, and, and what has he just done? He has totally blown it. He He denied Jesus three times, and the last time he was vehement, scoffing, cursing. No, I swear, I don't know this man. Leave me alone. And so if anybody would have thought, I've blown it. (laughs) I've I've absolutely, I've blown it, I'm out. I'm disqualified from it. It would have been Peter. But this is the very person that the angel says, oh yeah, by the way, Mary, uh, go and tell the disciples that I'm alive. Tell him that I'm here. And don't forget to tell Peter. Go to Peter. Tell him specifically that I asked for him. He's not disqualified. And neither are you. Neither are you. Neither are you. Peter had not been forgotten. And so you might think that somehow this isn't available to you, that you've... uh, disqualified yourself. But I I tell you, what you're doing is you're listening to the accusations and the deceptions of the enemy in that. Don't. Don't listen to that. If if you would rather play these little games in your mind of, well, if I weigh this versus that, then uh, God's going to look at me that he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He sees you as his child. And he wants you to push all your chips in and bet on him. To stand on Him firmly. To stand in His presence. To stand in His mercy. Because He knows your name. He knows your name. And He calls you by name. So I encourage you, don't wait. Don't put it off. Seek the Lord while He is to be found. Because when you stand in Christ, when you stand in Him, that's the only way you're actually able to rest. I know we, we are all going through 2020. And this isn't just a 2020 message, but it's, it's applicable for it. It can be tiring to stand in the midst of our political landscape and everything else that's going on for Christ. It can be tiring. But I tell you, in Christ is the only place that you'll be able to find any real rest when you stand in him. And so rest in Christ, and you will stand firm. And if you think that this can't work for you, then then you're believing in the enemy's lies. So empty yourself push all the chips in on Jesus and stand in his presence and his mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Christ. Thank you that you know us and you call us by name, oh God. That you look into my heart and you see the duplicity and the sin there. You see all of the things that you died for. You found it right and good and worthy. You found me worthy to send your son to die in my place. I I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I'm thankful for it. God, I pray that you would help me and help us as your children to live lives that honor and glorify you and your sacrifice. And that Seek to show others around us that they are known by their Father as well. Help us to live lives that set ourselves aside, that lay aside our other things that we plant our hopes and our aspirations and our dreams on. Set those aside. Not that they're bad, they just make lousy gods And that we would plant our feet firmly in you as our bedrock, as our foundation. No sinking sand, but rock below our feet. Help us, O God, to walk in you as we walk out our daily lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.